didn't really go into too much about the Latin touch. One of the things that we still got to clear up is how do you pronounce Bill N-A-G-Y? Right, okay. Now, there was, there was an American actor called Ivan N-A-G-Y. Obviously, you didn't say it like that. Um, and I thought, is it a Hungarian name? And it's pronounced Naj. Yes, I believe it is. I think there was a Hungarian politician called Imre Naj. Uh, so, so maybe it's it's sort of like pronounced um, in in that way because um, Bill Nagy um, sounds all kind of like very similar to Bill Nye. Mm. Uh So yes, I mean that's what I think it could be a a Hungarian name and it's pronounced Naj. Bill Naj, you know, correct or otherwise, also appeared in um, Goldfinger. So there you go. Yes, I mean he's uh, he's one of those recurring actors who keeps popping up, and um, that's one of the great joys of watching rose tinted black and white TV is seeing all those familiar faces either playing the same character in different things or getting a chance to do a bit of acting, which is always nice to see. Mm, practicing those accents. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Black and White TV. This is the second podcast episode and I'm joined by my co-host David Newell. I'm Guy Morgan. Hello, yes, good afternoon, thank you. Good afternoon, David has been uh, enjoying the flashpots of Barnsley. Enough said about that, I suspect. One of the things that people might query is why when everything is happening in the world that it is, that uh, we are talking about such trivial nonsense as rose-tinted black and white television. And I think it's a way of looking back to a more innocent, peaceful time, which is why we're discussing episodes of The Saint from October 1962, when nothing much was happening except the Cuban Missile Crisis. (laughs) Very quiet. Last week's episode on uh, Talking Pictures Television, Freeview, Channel 82, was the Careful Terrorist episode of The Saint. Now, it's only the third episode of The Saint, and it already is a departure from the format that we're used to. David, what did you think of it? It's uh, Yeah, it is um, a, a little bit of a strange episode. We did mention, and we spoke about last week, about how The Saint, to make it slightly more marketable to the American audience, uh, it was put forward that maybe Roger Moore could, could have like a little bit of an American accent. Um, and so maybe this was one of those where they, they road-tested that accent. Uh, the plot is... Uh, about a union organiser, a kind of like Jimmy Hoffa-type character who has very, very shady past. All of a sudden, uh, an investigative journalist who um, broadcasts a TV show um, is going to expose him, but then he's, he's, he's killed in a bomb blast. Uh, and then in a marvellous uh, piece of yeah, um, inventive television, um, Simon Templer is allowed to carry on doing the, doing the broadcasts. Uh, despite apparently having no broadcast or journalistic background or, or knowledge. Uh, you know, it's 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 really strange. It'd be like, I don't know, like having Eddie Shoestring turn up on Nationwide. So, yeah, that's, that's a plot. It's, it's set in the States. It does feature Percy Herbert, 
And Percy Herbert plays a character. He's only in the one episode playing this character, but it's a character called Hoppy, Hoppy Uniat, uh, who does recur in the book as well. He's, he's kind of like his, his gopher. Right. Tell me about the character in the book, because the character that Percy Herbert, not to put too fine a point on it, is lumbered with in that episode is somebody who makes Baldrick look like Einstein. Uh, reading now, quoting from um, one of the saint books, to him, the saint was a man who worked strange wonders, who plotted gigantic schemes, which slid into beautiful fruition with supernatural simplicity, who moved with a godlike nonchalance in those labyrinths of thought and celebration to which Mr. Uniat's were undistinguishable from the paths of purgatory. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's just described, you know, uh, how from the moment they first met, they've become invited, but irremovable attachment, hitching his wagon completely to that lucky star. So uh, um, Hoppy does a lot of rough stuff um, for him. But in the in the TV episode, he just um, he mixes some drinks and I think he steals some drinks as well. Mm. Uh, you know, he he's not a not a big um, supporters as such. Percy Herbert would be a very familiar face to TV and film audiences uh, at the time. Uh, it's not the first time he had a crack at an American accent. He used to to play an American in the, the Western series Simmer and Strip, uh, which which sounds like some bizarre dance act, uh, <laughs> but it's not. It is a, um, a Western. Um, and Percy Herbert was one of those reliable British character actors who would appear in so many military roles, you would just think he probably had his own uniform <laughs> at home, like Harry Andrews just thought probably he just got it. Um, Percy Herbert does turn up again later on in Series 3, Episode 20, in The Frightened Innkeeper, uh, which, fuck, I know, I'm scared already, which is set in um, a remote part of Cornwall. And Guy, obviously, as a radio producer, you've got background knowledge having produced um, a scary episode of Darius Dark, Supernatural Detective, which is set in a Cornish backwater. Yes, there's quite a few mystery series tended to pick Cornwall. It's either Cornwall or Scotland, isn't it? Ironically, both probably geographically being the furthest points from Elstree. <laughs> Uh, so, it, it, you know, in, in that respect, they probably just treated it as like you were going to like Narnia or Middle Earth. Um, the champions um, were particularly um, favoured of, of Scotland, you know, with the map zooming in at the beginning of, of where this week's episode is, is set. And, yeah, there seemed to be always a fair amount of antics going on in, in Scotland. As well as, if I remember rightly, isn't possibly the worst episode of the champions that one where terence alexander seems to be printing a bogus government document isn't that set in cornwall i think it is yes uh yeah he's he's up to no good um by by doing a um uh, i suppose it's disinformation so maybe uh, as an episode maybe very precedent of of today's disinformation you know through uh, um through social media or as it's more appropriately called Digital moaning. <laughs> yes, well, we'll doubtless return to the champions, but uh, I just thought I'd mention that Cornwall has a putative location because I suspect that at Elstree they had one backdrop which could either be Cornwall or the Highlands of Scotland. 
um that's that's the strength of good production design i've got a colleague the the screenwriter clive dawson who's who's a big val luton fan he's one of the administrators of the seventh victim which is like the val luton appreciation group on on facebook and every once in a while people will post up you know how the sets for, for the Val Luton films like Cat People and Leopard Man and, and I Walk With a Zombie were, were reused. Um, and I think it's the one from I Walk With a Zombie, which was set in the Caribbean uh, and it was like a market town on the island. And he's just posted up two pictures and, and the one next to it of a film still. And then there's one with Klingons walking around. Or it might be Romulans from an early Star Trek episode. Uh, so in, in that case... You know, film studio, never throw anything away. I think I'm right in saying that when Roger Corman rented a studio, he would go and look at what was in the scene dock that he could use. And mm. he'd shape the film around what was available. Sometimes you'd get some fantastic looking stuff. Presumably also, you have a gander at the dressing up box. Yes, I mean, you know, early 60s was, um, I suppose, almost at the forefront of, of recycling. Uh, you know, the, uh, a lot of the sets that were originally constructed for the huge and overblown uh, Cleopatra, I think, were reused for Carry On Cleo. And that's why Carry On Cleo looks, you think, crikey, this must have cost a fortune. Uh, but they're just utilising sets that they'd already built for a film a couple of years earlier. And, of course, talking of recycling, there's quite a few scripts got recycled by certain individuals who may have written for the Avengers and the cast-offs may have appeared in Adam Adamant. As uh, I think um, the character of David Brent says in an episode of The Office, a good idea is a good idea for life. <laughs> so just just keep using it. Just keep it. Well, but we're told that there are only seven stories. Don't forget. Seven stories and five sets. Yes, I think that that's that's yeah probably about it. Yeah, right. Let's get back to the careful terrorists. Yeah, so Simon Simon's allowed to to broadcast. Um, like I said, with very limited broadcast experience, he's he's still able to to do it, and he goads this sinister uh, trade unionist. You may not recognise the actor who plays him, but you will certainly probably recognise his voice because it's it's um, an actor by the name of Peter. I think it's Dinley or Dinley. I'm not sure how it's how it's pronounced. I'd say Dinley, actually. Dinley, okay, yeah. tomato, tomato, and he was the voice of Jeff Tracy in Thunderbirds, very very famously. Uh, and at first, you just keep wait a minute, where have I heard that voice before? And all of a sudden, you know, you 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 drop into it. And you realise, oh, wait a minute, it's Jeff Tracy. I mean, there are a couple of other clues um, as well as you as you as you go along, because you will see in in long shot um, when he's when he's featured, um, he just has like plastic hands. But if he's doing anything close up, like lighting a cigarette, it's actually real human hands. Uh, and you, oh right, yeah, that's it's him from yeah, it's him from um, Thunderbirds, yeah. And he did appear in other Saint episodes as as well. So he appeared in The Bunko Artists, which is, um, I think, in season two, episode 14, and then also appeared in To Kill a Saint. Spoiler alert, they don't. Uh, and that's in season five. Uh, the plot of which sounds really intriguing, and I'm looking forward if they, they have this one on, in which the saint is hired by gangsters to kill Simon Templar. Right. <laughs> 
it sounds as if those gangsters might have benefited from doing a little bit of research beforehand. Just a little bit. Um, but it was more innocent days, you know, when you, you wouldn't have access to, to that there internet. And gangsters, you know, using whatever software or laptop or device would just realise, hey, wait a minute, the Saint and the Simon Sampak, you know what? Would you Adam and Eve it? They're the same person. Uh, and all of us are, oh, crikey, no. Then they would realise the foolishness of their plan. And... Mm -hmm. And and this is like a lovely, happy coincidence. We mentioned um, uh, last week about about Roger Moore's kind of like TV action pedigree Mm. uh, and doing Ivanhoe. And Peter Dinley did appear in an episode of of Ivanhoe, Double-Edged Sword. Uh, So maybe that's where they got to know one another, got really pally with one another. Because uh, I'd imagine since you only have you know, a finite number of, of members of British actors' equity, and as it turns out, a finite number of scripts, uh, you would just keep bumping into people that you'd worked with on, you know, on something previously or previous TV show or you guested on or, or, or whichever. And particularly because the production centre was so close to one another, you know, L Street, Boreham Wood, all those kinds of uh, um, places, you, you'd be tripping over people that you'd worked with previously. I mean, you really did have to be based in the home counties. You couldn't, say, necessarily hole up in Ilkley and expect to get too many parts, could you? No, Pete didn't. He actually was born, was born in Hastings, but he just specialised in, in characters who, who seemed to have like an American background, American accent, or Canadian. And the other featured player in the Saint uh, episode, The Careful Terrorist, um, who should really have their own IMDb page, uh, is um, our old favourite stock footage who appears in most episodes and um, most ITC series as as well. The stock footage in this case is Nighttime New York. <coughs> oh well, that's a classic, isn't it? Uh, Nighttime New York. It's just all those all those skyscrapers all lit up, and then we will cut to Simon Templar in a pub or a bar or whatever. Well, we did have um, stock footage of nighttime West End Piccadilly Circus in The Talented Husband, the first episode. Uh, and you thought, oh, well, yes, we know where we are now. We're in London's yeah. glamorous West End. London, England. <laughs> Just looking at the, the cast in this, you mentioned David Kossoff, who's, I would have thought it would have been in more things, to be honest. I mean, his big role was in... as. I think it's Pop Larkin, isn't it? In what? It is, yeah. He's in, um, I think he's in, uh, is he in Mouse on the Moon as well? Uh, I think he's, uh, um, he's in that. David Kossoff is one of those um, actors who unfortunately um, did have, uh, you know, quite, quite a severe outbreak of kind of like um, Gordon Hayes syndrome, named after the um, American uh, Academy Award winning actresses, Helen Hayes and Ruth Gordon, um, both of which were tragically aged before their time. Uh, and there's very few pictures of them young. David Kossoff always seemed to be kind of like a very mature age. And you see, well, how old is he? Um, and he seemed quite content, you know, to, to always play slightly older. Yeah, I mean, the... The British actor that springs to mind, I and mean, there are several, but obviously is John Thor, who I think said, I was born this way. 
So if, if you actually look at um, John Thor, he has one appearance in the Avengers uh, and he's playing a very mature commanding officer who's about to launch a coup d'etat and, of course, Steed and Mrs Gale stop him. He also went on to do Red Cap. So by the time he's peering in the Sweeney, he's kind of already looking sort of wonderfully rugged. Apart from uh, his hair going white, he didn't really see, you know, all the way through Morse and Kavanaugh QC, he didn't really seem to change that much. He did a couple of um, really good pieces. The Grass is Singing was from a Doris Grass is Lessing. Singing is really good in, in Cry Freedom. Yeah, that's true. And he was in a play for today called Dinner at the Sporting Club where he plays a boxing trainer who is um, very much down on his luck. And that's really good. So, yes, there's more to John Thor than grumpy alcoholic detectives. Shut it. Uh, which is actually the name of of the Sweeney um, CD soundtrack, which I, I I do recommend. It's got some busting pieces of instrumental um, music on there, some really uh, groundbreaking bits of 70s music, but also interspersed <coughs> with a lot of dialogue, choice dialogue from um, from the TV series, which is marvellously unreconstructed. Yes. Uh, so, yes. And, and how could listeners purchase that, should they wish to? Um, I'll tell you what, I bought my copy. I bought my copy through Oxfam Online because um, you can go to Oxfam Online and what they sometimes do is those little perhaps sometimes collector's items or, or ones that you might not mind paying a little bit more for uh, they they have like a CD soundtrack um, uh, selection I got a, a really good copy of um, Planet of the Apes Jerry Goldsmith um, through through there as well so yeah they always have um, some some bargains and I think there's a sale on at the moment if you're a soundtrack aficionado, um, have a bit of a rummage round. Yes, and if you want something pristine and brand new, of course, you could probably find that CD online because mm. we don't want to discourage people from passing the money on to the uh, creatives. Absolutely. There are, obviously, there are other outlets for CD soundtracks. So please, you know, as, as Guy says, you know, think about where else you may wish to purchase it from. Looking at the rest of the cast of The Careful Terrorist, I think it's probably time to introduce the concept of Avengers Points, which okay. you're well aware of, but uh, listeners might not uh, fully comprehend. And that is for every appearance in the original series of The Avengers, you get one point. Uh, which obviously means that Patrick McNee is way out ahead. Um, <laughs> in all but one or two, I think, of uh, the entire things. Now, you could get into a time dilation dilemma of saying, did they actually have those appearances under their belt when they were, say, for example, in The Saint, The Careful Terrorist? If the answer is no, and they have Avengers points in waiting... We still count those. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, um, can I can I ask, guy? Because obviously you're a, uh, an Avengers aficionado, and you'd probably be able to tell tell me this. Because sometimes you would you would have TV series where um, either the the leading um, performer uh, may have been a bit poorly, on like a note from their mum, or they may have had like um, a little bit of a falling out. Um, and a contract renegotiation 
and oh right okay can we get someone to 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 fill in i mean in the 80s for example when um edward woodward was feeling a bit poorly i think they had was it robert lansing or even robert mitchum um step up to the plate um for a couple of episodes did did the avengers ever do that you know where it's sorry we can't get patrick man e you know this week he's he's on you know he's on his holidays in eastbourne uh you know we're gonna have to get sorry we're gonna have to get someone else well i mean i think that's quite common in in tv series what is less common and um talking pictures television elucidated this not too long ago is that very occasionally and more often in the states but uh, over here they if somebody was ill and somebody stepped in they would step in as the same character and it would be this week um <laughs> inspector lockwood is being played by it's a bit like in the old days where also they used to uh, credit people if they were appearing in the west end by kind permission of a rank organization yes uh, something like that so I don't think they did it in, in the Avengers, but there's a couple of episodes where Patrick McNee doesn't appear. I think Girl on the Trapeze is one where uh, Ian Hendry carries the whole show. There are others where genuinely, uh, I think Linda Thorson was either under the weather or filming other sections of the show. So they sometimes they were filming two or three shows at the, at the same time. Mm. And... I think it's, is it Killer? They bring in somebody else to fulfill her role. Or they the characters go away on holiday themselves and only appear in kind of the, the top and tail bit, which is kind of shot uh, separately. There's quite a lot of that in Sergeant Cork. Now, have you caught up with that episode of Sergeant Cork? Tell the truth. I haven't. Sergeant Cork is still unexplored country for me. Right, well, John Barry played Sergeant Cork, not the man who was responsible for the bomb theme. Not of the John Barry 7. No, no, not that one. It's a different spelling. John Barry also, at the same time uh, that we were making this, was apparently appearing in Z cars. And because he, he was so busy, there were frequent cases where he would either be away on another case or he would be on holiday, or he would be ill, and his deputy, William Gaunt, mm. Bob Marriott, would either have to carry the whole thing, so work with the chief superintendent, or visit Sergeant Cork in his holiday lodgings in, um, it wasn't Hastings, for example, but it was, it was somewhere like that, or he would go and visit him in his sick bed, or Sergeant Cork would appear kind of deus ex machina and um, come up with a solution. And occasionally uh, they would send Bob Marriott away, including India. To... Oh, crikey, that's, that's a big beat. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big area to cover. At the end of which, he, having solved a murder, he was offered the job of Chief of Police by Saeed Jaffrey, who was the Raja. And... Um, but didn't take it because he wanted to get back to Blighty. But, Absolutely. But Sergeant Cork is available as a box set. They are not in broadcast order, as I discovered. Um, oh, okay. Well, does, does that kind of throw you when it, it's in terms of continuity, um, in terms of hairstyles or height? 
or age. More in terms of what continuity there is, because they're kind of one-offs, but there are references to things that kind of happened. And, um, previous but, cases. Previous cases, previous uh, engagements in the terms of uh, Bob Marriott, who is always falling in love with the leading lady. And uh, he's uh, very much a romantic. And he actually gets engaged uh, to somebody at the end of whichever series it is, in uh, end of 1964. And you sort of think, oh, well, that, that's strange because there's still quite a few episodes to come. Nothing appears to have been made in 1965, as far as I can tell. And when it comes back, it's John Barry and William Gaunt. So um, <clears throat> I can only assume that there must have been some production issues going on that they didn't know whether they were going to recommission so without access to the relevant tv times i can't actually uh, tell you what might have replaced it in uh, in 1965 but then he comes back and there's no mention of the engagement uh, and he's still falling in love with the leading lady oh, do, do you feel that that maybe that 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 engagement and potential subsequent marriage did kind of work out as well as james bond's um kind of like that kind of tragedy but we don't want to talk about it um possibly or the other thing that we have to remember about this is that episodes aren't available we couldn't binge watch these things <laughs> so therefore the whole kind of continuity wasn't it actually wasn't he the, the different character six weeks ago or whatever that continuity problem didn't exist so that's why you get so many people coming back um, as different people um, and very few actors coming back as uh, the same recurring character. Um, obviously, Inspector Teal uh, is the mm. the main recurring character uh, in the maybe, set. Maybe that was, you know, maybe that was one of the things that they, they you know, were looking at because obviously they're adapting and falling back on on the books. Um, Leslie Charteris's book, so it's it's possible maybe Hoppy was was looked as um, all right. Yeah, it's it's best if the saint has kind of like a little bit of a sidekick to to help do like the you know the running around and thumping people over the head and things like that. Uh, but maybe it just it just didn't spark off because uh, obviously very famously the saint works alone, and what well, at least he does in the TV series. Yes, and uh, the fact that he manages to um, plant the boom uh, that was hidden in his television yeah. set in the apartment of the uh, crooked union leader, which we don't see, and the whole script is really odd. And it's written by the same two guys who wrote the Latin Touch, Gerald Kelsey and Dick Sharples. And you don't really know the source material that they had to work with, and you can never... sort of point the finger at any one person in these sort of things it it just doesn't really seem to work as part of the format that presumably Lou Grade signed up to the idea that you have a leading man international man of mystery who just keeps uh, floating around the world writing wrongs um because this one is is um i suppose one of those examples we spoke about it last week about how in in the books the saint is it's quite a hard character it isn't above um killing people bumping them off and uh, in this one you know the, the there obviously is that idea of right we are 
going to more extract revenge rather than bring to justice. And um, I don't know, is there a subliminal message out there about a bomb being planted in a TV? Maybe TV being bad for you? I don't know. I don't know. We'll leave that to the psychologists. Oh, yes. Talking of psychology, I had a look at the BBC Programme Index because apparently... um, this episode of The Saint went out on Thursday, the 25th of October, 1962. And I thought, well, what was the competition? Looking at the programmes for the day, I mean, it's it's quite... The BBC was obviously um, very intellectual and um, offering an alternative. And there was this thing called Perspective Asks What's the Hurry? Um, this is goes out at half past one. So... Um, trying to remember I was probably being given an afternoon nap by this time but uh, it's a men of speed uh, with guests Donald Campbell Roy Salviadori and Peter Twiss and then Professor Hans Eisnick on intelligence tests now some people may remember that uh, Professor Eisnick became quite a controversial figure with his views on intelligence and genetics and um, and so I looked him up on Wikipedia, which, of course, must be completely... That's your search engine flagged. That's, that's now you're knackered now. <laughs> because the, he was always in the news, and obviously people protested a, a lot about um, the sort of things he was saying. And so it's quite a complex character uh, from the look of it. But interestingly, uh, a lot of institutions that... Uh, published his work rolled back on that and withdrawn the papers because um they couldn't reproduce the um uh the experiments that he conducted about personality and uh various other things so i would say probably he is definitely a controversial character now but on thursday the 25th of October 1962, um, he seemed to be the go-to man to talk about intelligence tests. I've never been a big fan so of that. So these, these were the kind of like the afternoon programmes. kind of almost makes you grateful for the doctors and flog it <laughs> in, in terms of perhaps that lightness of engagement uh, of, of an afternoon rather than some dense, chewy, questionable clinical psychology. Yes, I mean, there's there's definitely there's something called Spotlight, which is a people politics problems in the news, a topical programme for older children. That lasted for 20 minutes from five past two to 25 past two when there was an interval. Um, that lasted five minutes. Someone come around your house with a tray of ice creams and Kiora and stuff like that. Just pop it. That'd be great. Crusader nuts. They're so much fun to eat. It- <laughs> It would set you up for Watch With Mother, Ragtag and Bobtail, for the very young. That seemed to have gone on for about two and a half hours. I'm not quite sure that. But... <laughs> now, I wasn't sure that this was on Thursdays, because I was always associated it with, with Fridays. But it's five o'clock. It's... It must be Crackerjack, crikey, yeah. So, all oh, right, maybe it moved... Maybe just as it became more successful, maybe it did transfer to to the um, you know the, the the pinnacle of children's TV. It's just like Friday tea time. Well, I haven't looked back 
forensically through each um, entry for the Radio Times, but I seem to remember it being, it's five past five, mm. uh, then it's five o'clock, and then it became, it's five to five, and uh, whichever day it is, it's, you know, say Thursday, it's five o'clock, it's Crackerjack, and presented by Eamon Andrews, who uh, devised Double or Drop, which is one of the competitions. Oh, wow. Comedian Leslie Crowther, comedian Peter Glaze, comedienne Pip Hinton, hostess Gillian Comber, who um, I think was in something like 188 uh, episodes of uh, Cracker Jack. And the performers were Hans Peterson's Bears. See, you wouldn't be able to get away with that, but you no, you wouldn't have those kinds of things no. uh, now. Oh, no. Uh, no, you wouldn't have forming animals and a um kind of like a well particularly bears as well they do things like stand on stools and maybe jump through hoops or, or whatever it is yes i think that would be as equally controversial as professor hans eisnick i think yeah Ooh, um, so all that was put up against the saint well i mean it's a bit early for that but then um six o'clock town and around presented by richard baker now, we might be getting into the Saint territory, though I'm not quite sure what time it went out, but at 25 past six on a Thursday, it was the White Heather Club. Oh, right, okay. No, doesn't, doesn't, it's not ringing any bells. Welcome to the White Heather Club. You, you don't remember the White Heather Club at all? I don't. No, I remember White Horses. Oh, right. No, I, I don't remember the White Heather Club. Right, I, I think don't, it's... Don't forget, though, Guy, as we always as we always used to get told on BBC Wales, um, viewers in Wales have their own programmes. Yes. What was your commercial station in Flanders now? commercial station used to be HTV, used to be Harlech, Harlech TV. <laughs> So we would have a a balance of of English uh, for children. So we would have uh, a kind of like uh, English speaking um, children's programs, which would be you know broadcast nationally, and then we would have a Welsh language spoken uh, ones like Billy Dalkar and uh, Falabalam, uh, and so we would have those 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 kind of like Welsh Welsh speaking children's programs to to tuck into. Oh right, I don't know if they uh, penetrated my consciousness though having looked at some of these uh, schedules there was actually a bit of Welsh language that actually appeared in London so I may have been aware of that the genetic pull of my ancestry wasn't sufficient to for me to sit down and actually try and make sense of it I must admit Anyway, the White Heather Club, presented by Andy Stewart, singer Anne Brand. There's also a Laura Brand, James Urquhart, dancer Dixie Ingram, pianist Harry Carmichael, and the White Heather Dancers. I do remember them. Even at the time, as someone who was very young, it struck me as all very brigadoon. Following that, at uh, 10 to 7, there was the Tonight programme with Cliff Mitchell-Moore, Alan Wicker, Fife Robertson, Trevor Philpott, Kenneth Allsop. Then there were some headlines. Then Compact which I think we ought to do something on. 
written and created by Hazel Adair and Peter Ling, I think. Are they the, are they the crossroads folk? It could well be, actually. I think there's... The crossroads folks. I seem to, I seem to remember that the name <coughs> Peter Ling, uh, very, very, uh, very tuneful name. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's, I think it's the same. I think it's the same people. Because we do like to celebrate the writers as much as um, the stars and the directors and the producers on this podcast. So we will have a, a look at some of those, particularly as there was, seem to be so few women writing regularly for television. And I think that's worth um, having a look at the sort of things that they were involved in. At five to eight, and this probably was coming up against the saint and it's it's a pretty strong competitor i would say oh, right. okay. are they are they going like mano a mano this yeah is kind of like toto stuff dr finley's casebook obviously thursday is very scottish based yeah, it does seem to be it just seems to be a large celtic theme to to that evening with the white heather club uh, uh, and what have you yes crikey yeah um, Does I, seem to be. I'm looking for familiar names. Obviously, Bill Simpson as Dr. Alan Finlay. Um, Andrew Cruikshank, of course. At uh, quarter to nine, It's a Square World, with Michael Benteen and Dick Emery. Uh, Frank Thornton, various other people. Musicians, The Square Seven, directed by Albert Hall, which I think was uh, quite possibly a, a spoof name by uh, Michael Benteen. Incidental Music. Ron Grainer. Hey, hey, Paul, now you're talking. The, what, the man who did the music for the Amiga Man, amongst others. And Doctor Who, of course. Hmm? So, uh, and film cameraman, Tony Lego, with two Gs, and that is a name that you remember. Yes, yeah, Tony Lego, what a great name. Yeah, and then Points of View, which lasted five minutes. Uh, that was Robert Robinson. Half past nine, amateur boxing, Scotland against Romania. Um, Again, that's Scottish connection. There's a half an hour United Nations film narrated by Alistair Cook talking about the division of mankind into have and have not nations. Uh, and then at quarter to ten, the World Amateur Ballroom Dancing Championships. You'd, you'd never get ballroom dancing on uh, television nowadays, would you? No, it's, it's very difficult to film. You know, I don't think you get many people interested. No, it's just a no-go area. And as for um, wanting to, to watch a documentary about Have Not and Have Nations, who'd be interested in that nowadays? Quite. Things have changed so much. Progress, that's what it is. Yeah, and uh, of course, because of the early lead times on Radio Times, I suspect they didn't have any chance to make any reference to the standoff in the uh, Caribbean between the US mm. and the Soviet Union. Good job that sort of thing doesn't happen nowadays. So that was the uh, competition. Imagine that uh, the saint might have cleaned up. The only problem about this, and it would totally mystify anyone younger than 50 probably, is that <clears throat> even big shows like the saint would not necessarily be shown at the same time on the same day in the same ITV region. Um, that must have damaged their viewing figures considerably. So, uh, and sometimes uh, particular regions didn't even take uh, major shows. I mean, some didn't take the Avengers and then they'd start with kind of an arbitrary episode. So it's a good job there wasn't any kind of character arc or 
major story arc mm, yeah, in, in any of these. Thrown. You'd be thrown. Yeah. So there wasn't that idea of kind of like blanket coverage, that idea of, right, we're going to show uh, everyone. So how would, uh, uh, so quite potentially, um, that would that would mean there would be very specific water cooler TV. Yes. Though, to be fair, very few people, only in American series, did you have water coolers. Um, tea urn then, I guess. Would it be gathering around like um, a tea trolley if you still had that kind of thing in offices and factories, things like that? So, yeah, you'd be you're around there. Or while everyone at work went on a cigarette break. Well, mind you, that was pretty constant because they'd be smoking all the way through yeah, in the office yeah yeah they'd be uh, um you know smoking and, and then smoking another cigarette during their smoking break uh just like two on the go at the same time if they did talk about it maybe they'd, they'd chat about it on the tram if they were rich enough uh, not to have to walk across cobbles in their clogs to work yes to to uh, hey do you see that episode of the saint last night i grand uh so yes could be but you would have other areas of the country who would just go who is the saint that you speak of? For I have not heard of him. Well, everyone knows now. And they can watch the saint on Talking Pictures on Sunday evenings at six o'clock and then listen in to us to compare notes. My thanks to my co-host, David Newell. I'm Guy Morgan and we'll be paddling in more nostalgia next time. Mm-hmm.